Now, one thing you'll notice about the people who were in that video that you just watched is every one of them went through financial peace with a group, with a community of believers around them. They were there to encourage them. They were there to challenge them. Nobody went through financial peace on their own. And it's that idea of community, of encouragement and challenge that we're going to be talking about this morning, how community is what more oftentimes than not is going to be what actually helps you grow as a man or woman of God. It is a catalyst for life change. Are you guys with me? This being our first service of 2016, uh, I can't think of a better way to open the first sermon in 2016 than going directly straight from the Word of God. So let's start there. If you have your Bible, open it up. The book of Ephesians, chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 10. So we will read that together here. For we are his, what? Workmanship, it says in, in, in my version here. This one says creation here. This is just out of the NASB in this version. Uh, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So that we would walk in them. Now, the interesting thing when we translate this into the English, the word workmanship or here it says creation, the Greek word that we translate that from is the Greek word poema. And it is the word that we get our English words poem and poetry from. Poem and poetry. So if we read it like its original intent, it would say, for we are God's poetry, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. So the idea is that God had this beautiful poem about you before you ever existed. He had plans for you that you should walk in those plans. And God's poetry, if we can agree on anything, what kind of poetry God would write, it would be magnificent. It would be eloquent. It would be big and bold. And most importantly, God's poetry would have a message in it, like all good poetry. There'd be a message that came through it. Today we're going to be talking about the message that God has for you in God's community and how you speak that message out to the world. So as we sit and dwell on this for just a second, I want us to think about it because it has really powerful implications. Let's contrast God's poem of you with what maybe if you were to write a poem, what it would be like. Let's think about that for just a second. How Big and beautiful is your poem of your life. In contrast with how maybe that, how God would write a poem about you when he planned you. You know, I think that oftentimes we as Christians, we settle for a hamburger helper when what God wants for us is a T-bone steak. But we think too small. This is important. It's really important for us today to grasp a hold of this idea because I think we in general, have swallowed a lie of the enemy. I think the greatest disease of the Western church right now is the disease of consumerism. It's disease of consumerism. It's where the church says our spiritual life is comprised of showing up on Sunday morning and consuming a Sunday morning service. We'll come and we'll experience good music. We'll come and experience an eloquent speaker, somebody that challenges us in something, and we'll leave here going, man, those are some really good ideas. I should probably think of implementing those in my life. 
And then maybe we'll even show up at a community group meeting during the week. And we'll say, well, I did my part. I was there, I showed up, and we'll check the boxes. And we'll consume from the church instead of being the church. And I just got to believe that God's poem of you is a whole lot bigger than that. It's a whole lot more beautiful than that. It's a whole lot more selfless than that. God's poem of you would be that you would grow up into the image of Christ and pour yourself out as an offering for the Lord and for others. That's the kind of poem God would write about. The poem God would write about you is that when you leave this earth, it would be people's lives who were impacted forever because they came in contact with you on planet earth. Some of those people would say, this person was there for me during incredibly dark time periods in my life. I don't know if I'd have made it through them without them. Some of these people would have said, this person told me about the gospel, though I fought them tooth and nail. And because they believed in me and loved me enough to keep trying, I know Christ is my Lord and Savior, and I will see them again in heaven. That's the poem God wants to write about you. Not that you would show up on a Sunday morning or show up at a community even though those are inherently good things. Are you following me? That's what God wants for you. So your purpose is big and it's beautiful and it should bellow out to the world God's love for them. And it should say that they have a poem that God has prepared in advance for them to walk in as well. Now, the church could really be summed up in two main functions. We exist to minister to the Lord and we exist to minister to one another. And it's that second part of that, ministering to one another, that I want to talk about today because I believe a big part of the the purpose of the church is to minister to one another. The Bible gives us some commandments, not suggestions. (laughs) It gives us some commandments about these one another's, these things that we can do for and with one another. Listen to some of these. Love one another. I find it hard to like one another many days. (laughs) much less love one another. The Bible says love one another, serve one another. That's not consuming. Build up one another. Admonish one another. That means to challenge each other. To say, hey, you're bigger than this. You can really aspire to something greater. Keep going. Bear one another's burdens. These are the things that God says, This is what your poem should look like. Loving one another, serving, building, admonishing, bearing each other's burdens. And the only way that you can obey these commandments, not suggestions, these commandments of the scripture, the only way you can do it is if you live in community with other believers. Are you awake? Did you catch that? The only way you can obey those is if you are in community with other believers. It's kind of hard to stand before the Lord one day and say, man, God, I did what you told me to do, um, but I I just had a really hard time getting into this um, loving one another, serving one another, building one another, admonishing one another, and bearing one another's burdens because I just, you know, I didn't find a community around me. God's going to say, well, you didn't place yourself in community, right? We have that responsibility to one another. And our problem, I don't think, is that I don't think we don't believe in these commandments. I think if we were asked individually, do you believe in these things? We'd say, yes, absolutely. I think our problem is that we just don't do it. By and large, the Western church doesn't do it. And that's not the way it was in the first century church. 
That's not the way it is in many places of the world right now. But I think for us, this whole community thing is a tough thing for us. And it might be that we're just really, really busy and our life is just full of events and a schedule to keep and we just tell ourselves, man, I'd I'd like to do that, but I just don't have time for it. The truth is we make time for the things that are most important to us. We do. It might be that maybe we're ashamed of where we're at in life. Maybe there's a situation in our family and we just don't want others to know about that or we can't stand to be around people who seem like they've got it all together when we know that we don't have it all together, so we're going to act like we've got it all together, but we're going to stay away from the church altogether until we get that figured out. And then we'll come back. And that's just falling right into the trap of the enemy to separate yourself. Maybe we're introverted, just a really private person. We have trouble opening up to people. And I believe if God were standing here today, he would say, it's worth it. I know you're introverted. This is a challenge for you, but it's worth it. Step into community with other believers and open up to them. Maybe we just don't see the value in it. And I pray today God would help you see the value in it. And whatever the case is, many of us just simply don't obey God in this and we try to go it alone, to be the lone ranger in Christianity. Now, I'm not going to beat you over the head today with a bunch of biblical scriptures and try to convince you that this is true because like I said, I think we already believe that. We've taught on it before. We're likely going to teach on it again. Instead, I'm just going to tell you about how biblical community has affected my life and what it's done for me personally how there have been people in my life who poured into me and gave so that I might grow. There's been people in my life who, when I was at a very dark place, I was ready to quit, but they encouraged me and they were there for me and that. There's been people that when I was acting like a fool, they called a spade a spade, but I knew they loved me. I knew they loved me, and so I listened to them. If it hadn't been for those people, I'm convinced I would not be standing here with you today. In your first point this morning about how community builds us up, it's this. God's community results in deep friendships. God's community results in deep friendships. There's been numerous studies lately ever since the advent of social media that state that though we're more connected in many different ways, this generation holds the loneliest people the world may have ever known. Are you aware of that? Connected in multiple ways in many, many shallow areas, wearing our masks that everything's okay. And we don't have anybody who we are truly deep friends with. Now, most of us have friends. We grew up around friends. We had people that we played on the same team together. We were in the same class together. And usually, just our worldly friends, which are great, um, they are people whom we have a lot of things in common with. It's very easy for us to be friends with. You're just fast friends with these people. And usually you can tell the people who are really your friends when times get hard. When maybe you do something or you're kind of ostracized and you're going to find out if those friends stick by you or not. Or maybe you have a little bit of a falling out with that person. There's an altercation and you're going to find who is willing to reconcile and who's not. Who just doesn't think the relationship's worth it. And I'm going to tell you guys, I've had God friends and I've had good friends And there is a difference between God friends and good friends. We're going to talk about what those are because when the good times end is where your God friends stick to it. They stick with you. One example comes from the book of 1 Samuel in chapter 18. If you have your Bible, open that up. It's in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 18. And normally um, at River Rock, we teach from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. But this morning we're teaching 
from that and the NASB. And this is in the NASB primarily because the way that this reads, and I'll show you exactly what I'm talking about here. Now, it came about when David had finished speaking with Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. And this underlined portion here, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Think about that for just a moment. If you're not familiar with the story of Saul and Jonathan and David, let me just briefly fill you in. Saul is the current king of Israel, okay? And he has come in contact with David and Saul's son and next in line for the throne, and that's important, okay? Saul's son is Jonathan. And Jonathan and David's soul was knit together. Their soul was knit together, the Bible says. Now, it's important to kind of figure out why these two men grew together into such God friends. Okay? And let's start with some scripture that kind of gives you an idea about the soul of David. You don't got to turn with these. I'll be very brief. Psalm 25 verse 1, David says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Psalm 42, verse 2, he says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with him? You can tell David had a heart for the Lord. He trusted God. He had a very real and powerful and tangible relationship with the Father. And Jonathan had that same kind of relationship to the Father. I'll touch on briefly an aspect of his life. In 1 Samuel, I think it's 14, uh, it's actually described a battle that the Israelites were in with the Philistines. And Jonathan takes his armor bearer and they sneak out of the Israeli camp at night. And Jonathan says, let's go check out these, these Philistines. Let's, let's see what they're all about. He gets there and he says, essentially, this is the New Steve translation. He says, essentially, I think we can take them. This is what Jonathan says to his armor bearer. There's an army of Philistines. I think we can take them. Right? And his armor bearer stands by him. And he says, whatever you have in your mind to do, Jonathan, I'm with you. Let's do it. And Jonathan says, the Lord is able to save by few or by many. And the long story short is they charge off into battle, both of them together. They charge up the mountain, these entrenched forces, and they wipe them out. And the Bible records how Jonathan cut them down in front of him, and his armor bearer was right behind him, cutting down those that he missed. That's the kind of friend you need at your side. Somebody who will say, I'm with you. I know the God you're talking about, and we can do this together. I will charge the mountain with you. Whatever your dragons are in your life, I will help you slay them. So that's Jonathan's heart. And you see why David and Jonathan became such God friends, trusted God so much. They loved God so much. And really, if you know the history of these two men, there's a lot of reasons why they should have never been friends, okay? Think about this for a second. Jonathan is the prince the next in line for the throne. David is a sheep herder. Jonathan lived in the palace. David lived in a tent in the wilderness with his sheep. You ever been around sheep? You know what sheep smell like? They don't smell like the palace. Lastly, and probably most important, as we discussed this morning, Jonathan was next in line for the throne. Samuel the prophet had already anointed David and said, you will be the next king of Israel. In many ways, Jonathan should have hated David and seen him as a threat to his throne and should have sought to have him killed. But he didn't. 
His intense love for God conquered all their differences. And David's love they had in common with the Father, and it drew them together. It knit their souls together. I've had the privilege of, of knowing a few men like this. Um, guys, these are the people that you can be known by. Do you know what I mean when I say that you can be known by them? These are people that know all about your garbage. They know all about your sin, all of your weaknesses, and they love you in spite of it. And the reason they're able to do that is because they know all their own garbage and sin and weaknesses, and they know the Father loves them in spite of it. These are trustworthy people. They stay in your corner. They fight for you. These are the ones you always seem to gravitate to. These are the people who have permanent refrigerator rights in your home. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Do you know what a refrigerator friend is, folks? Right? A refrigerator friend for me is usually on Sunday afternoons, and if I had cable, I'd be sitting on my couch eating my snacks and and watching the game on cable. Right? And, like, without even knocking... A refrigerator friend can come in my front door, walk in my kitchen and go, Hey, Steve, go over to the fridge. What do you got in here? Hey, you want some of this while I'm up? No, okay. They got refrigerator rights in your home. Have you ever had a friend like that? Or maybe you were the one who showed up at their house and you had the refrigerator rights. I'm thinking of a man right now. His name is Ron Pratt. I hope he hears this message. Uh, Ron and I met when I was up in Alaska. I was in the Air Force then, and I was just a kid. And uh, there are many reasons why Ron and I should not have been friends. I've made a list, okay? First of all, Ron was in his mid-40s, but when I met him, I was in my, my early 20s. Very different life stages. Okay, Ron had children. He was married. I was not ready for marriage. Definitely not ready for children, okay? Um, Ron came from California, I grew up in Texas. That right there should have put us at odds, right? Didn't work that way. Uh, Ron permed his hair. He permed his hair. Okay? If I had enough hair to perm, I would never, ever perm my hair. I would see Jesus face to face before I permed my hair. Right? Ron liked the Cowboys. I've never really been a Cowboys fan. Right? Ron played hacky sack. And he was like six foot three and like 280. Permed hair. Hacky sack. I barely even know what hacky sack is. But Ron saw in me a young man who had a passion for the ministry and had a love for God. And he took me under his wing as an as a older man, as an older man of God. And we became God friends. I ate many meals at his home, sitting at his table. I actually called his wife mom on many occasions because she was always there. Uh, She would ask me, oh, Stephen, you're so thin. You need something to eat, honey. Get some food. She was always feeding me dinner. They would pray for me. They would weep with me. Do you have a friend like that? I want you to think about this seriously. Do you have a friend like that? Because I want you to consider this. And I mean this. Very seriously, God wants you to have a friend like that. I was talking with my wife about this, and she said this, and it's very profound. It's wisdom right from the Holy Spirit. She said, you know what? What you're talking about in this sermon is a gift from the Father. These people are gifts from him, and it's not gifts that he has reserved for special people. He has these reserved for you right now. 
And if you don't have one, it's either because you are not involved in God's community to a deeper level or you have not asked God for them. Because if you will dive into community with a deeper level with the people of this church, and if you will pray and ask God to give you that man or that woman in your life who will be that friend for you, he will give it to you. Maybe there's somebody just maybe praying for a friend like we're talking about that's knit together, a friend just like you. I want you to think about that this morning. Think about that. All right. Secondly, God's community is where my soul is cared for. God's community is where my soul is cared for. Someone has said there's only two kinds of people in this world, those who are in hard times or those who will be in hard times. And I can think in our life, there's really three areas that present a lot of challenges for us. And these three areas, really briefly, I just want to touch on. Our first one is our spiritual life. Our spiritual life. You need a spiritual ally in your life. You need a friend who is like a spiritual gym partner for you. Do you you know what I mean when I say that? They're like a spiritual gym partner. These are the people whom, if they're at the gym, and you're supposed to be at the gym with them, but you're busy sleeping in, they call you and say, I'm at the gym. Where are you at? These are the people, you know, if you miss two or three Sundays, these are the people who are genuinely concerned. And they're like, man, I want to talk to this person. Where are they at? How are they doing? They're checking in on you, right? These are the people that, like at the gym, they're your spot partners. If you guys lifted weights, you know what a spotting partner is? These are the people that when the weight of life is crushing down on you and it feels like it's too much to bear, they are standing over you with their hands on that weight and saying, I got you, and you can do this. Push. And they lift it off of your heart. Do you have a spiritual ally like that? The second area that I can think of is a mentor for your career. So much of our life, folks, is wound up in our careers, right or wrong. We spend a lot of hours there. Some of y'all spend as little as you know, 25 or 30 hours at a part-time job. Some of you guys have a very full-time job at you know, 55, 60 hours plus a week. And so it's going to consume a lot of your life. Do you have someone in your career field who can work with you and help you through hard decisions and navigate through maybe some tricky turns? Someone who can coach you? This needs to be someone who will believe in you who believes greater things about you in your career field than you even believe for yourself. And they encourage you and draw that out from you. Guys, if you don't have that, you need that. I've, I've had that in my life, and I'll tell you more about him in just a little while. His name's John. I'll come back to him. Lastly, the third area is marriage and kids. Marriage and kids. Marriage and parenting. Whew. Yeah, this is a tough area. I mean, what do you say about this area? We talk about in biblical manhood, for those of you who went through it, you'll recognize this term, that you need an I-just-don't-get-it friend. What is a I-just-don't-get-it friend? I'm so glad you asked. An I-just-don't-get-it friend is a friend that when you're busy gossiping about your spouse to somebody, that that friend will be there and they will say, man, I feel for you. I really do. It's a tough spot. As I listen to you, though, I just don't get it. Stephen, I don't get it, man. You know what to be doing, and you're not doing it. You're a man of God. You know the word. You know what it says. 
Stephen, you need to go back and apologize to her. You need to serve her and listen to her. Don't just listen to the words coming out of her mouth, but listen to her heart. Or maybe it's your wife, and your wife is, is talking about that to somebody, and she needs somebody to tell her, look, you need to go forgive him. You shouldn't be here talking to us about this. You need to go forgive him. Encourage your husband. Pray for him. Tell him you're in his corner. Help him understand your side of things. But most importantly of all, you work this out with your husband. Folks, these are people who will believe in you when you don't believe in you. They'll believe in your marriage when you don't believe in your marriage. These are the people who will answer you and challenge you on the hard questions, and they will say, reconcile, right? And parenting, oh my gosh, what do you, like you just need somebody in parenting to put their arm around you and go, I'm praying for you. I just want you to know I'm praying for you, Right? What are you trying to say? I'm not trying to say, I'm just telling you, I love your kids and I know parenting is hard and I know that you're up against it right now. How can I pray for you more? What can I do? Can I take the kids for a while? Maybe you and your spouse can get off and go have some prayer and planning time and strategize and think about this. You need people to work through you, help raise your kids with you. Guys, I'm convinced as a church, we just don't do this enough. We don't do this enough for one another. We don't help get into each other's lives and help serve each other in our marriages especially. And if we did, you'd see a lot less divorces in the church. The church has hamstrung itself in many ways by not using the body of Christ in the community that we're talking about here. So in these three areas, you will receive soul care. And guys, listen to me now. I want you to pay attention These are the people who are your 2 a.m. friends. Your 2 a.m. friends are the people that when you're up at 2 a.m. and you don't know how you're going to get through it, these people, no matter how far away they are, may be up at 2 a.m. at that very moment praying for you. And if they're not awake praying for you, they'll be upset if you don't call them and wake them so that they can be there for you. You need those type of men and women in your life. You just do. I don't know how we get through it without the body of Christ in some of these hard spots. I know we can't get through it without Jesus. But I don't know how we get through it without the community around us. It's such an amazing asset that we neglect to use. We neglect to be open enough and honest enough to use. Now guys, the staff members of this church can only provide so much soul care to you. I want you to catch this. So look at me. Be awake for this. Because this is right out of the Bible. The pastor's job is to train you and equip you and empower you and encourage you to be the ministers that this church needs, that this town needs. And it's your job to be the ministers to one another, to provide soul care to each other, to be the 2 a.m. friend, to be the refrigerator friend. And we want to help you accomplish that. Do you understand? The Bible calls us, right from the scripture that Kenny read earlier, we are all part of a holy priesthood. We are all clergy here. There is no such thing as laity. And God's calling us to some amazing things because if we will do that, guys, if we will do this in, fi- in over 15 years with the ministry, I'm convinced that if the church will begin to really function like that, the gospel will come alive in you. It won't be words in this book or simple uh, trite phrases that you use when sharing the gospel, but the gospel will be alive in you. That gospel will come alive through real love, real trust, real power, and real change. And the world will see that and want it in a real way. The gospel comes alive in the community of God when it functions like God wants it to function. 
when we are the poem that he wrote about. Your last thing this morning is that God's community helps me endure. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 13 says, Watch out, brothers, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. So it says, watch out. Do you all have that scripture there, Hebrews? Chapter 3, verse 12 through 13. It says, watch out, brothers. He says, basically, we don't, he's talking to Christians here, not non-Christians. He says, don't let this unbelieving heart that will depart from a living God be in you. Because we're all prone to that. We sang the hymn this morning, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, right? We're all prone to move towards sin and away from God. It's in us, right? And he says, but here's the way to combat that. Here's the way to fix that. He says, but what? Say that again, louder. Encourage each other. When? Daily. Now this word encourage, from the Greek, it's parakaleo. And it means to call to your side for aid. Okay? To call to your side for aid. And it gives this, this picture in your brain. When you think of encouraging, this is what I want. This is what the word of God means by encouraging. It means, man, Kenny, man, I'm really going through it. Come Come here, bro. Come here. Let me tell you about, come here, Kenny. Let me tell you what's going on in my life, man. Right? I'm going through a tough spot and I need some help, man. And this is what's happening. And, and Kenny goes, dude, I just don't get it. Right? I just don't get it. You know the word of God, right? Thank you, Kenny. Right? You know the word of God. Or maybe it's, man, Stephen, that's, that's really, dude, that hurts me like it's hurting you. I'm going to pray for you, bro. What else can I do? And he helps me through that time. That's the encouragement we're talking about. He's either encouraging me or he's exhorting me. He's challenging me. But the point is, we have a relationship where both of those are okay. That's the encouragement the word of God is talking about. So listen to me, guys. God's community helps you endure. Don't quit when the world wants you to. Don't listen to the naysayers. Endure. I myself have been tempted to quit. I told you earlier about a guy named John. His name's John Harrington. I went through a pretty dark place in my life. I'd lost my, my courage, and it seemed like I couldn't see straight, and I had believed some lies. And there were some people during that time, and this was all, I'm sure, just the enemy just working me over. But there were some people during that time that said, man, Stephen, are you sure that you're really cut out for ministry? I mean, maybe this isn't what you should be doing. Maybe you should just walk away from this. And it cut me to the core. And I remember that John was there, and he was like, no way, man. No way. You know me, and I know you, and we know the Lord, and you know that's a lie. And we're not going down like that. We're not going out like that. Stephen, God has got you, and he has plans for you, bro. And if you can't see him right now, I will be here to see it for you, and we will see this through, and you will get through it, and God will do amazing things. You hang in there. That's the kind of community that you need from people. You need people that know you enough and know your struggles like that, and have permission to speak into your life like that. That's what you need. That's what we all need. You need people who believe things from the word of God, like, like 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up. Like Galatians 6, 2, carry one another's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. 
James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. 1 Peter 1, verse 22 says, by the obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for the sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And lastly, 1 Peter 4.8, above all, maintain an intense love for each other since love covers a multitude of sins. You need people who will be this for you. In a moment here, we're going to take two. If you're new to our church, when we take two, it's just two minutes where you sit and think about what God has shown you this morning. Okay? And in that time, I want you to really think about action steps. Okay? Someone has said, uh, like one of the worst things a preacher can hear on Sunday morning as you're leaving is, wow, good message, preacher, and walk out the door. And I thought, well, that's not the worst. The worst is probably like, man, bad message this morning. You did terrible. Right? But what we want to hear, what every speaker and teacher wants to hear is, because of what you shared this morning, God spoke to me. And because of what God spoke to me, I am going to do this. And you fill in the blank. That's what the church needs. It doesn't need an entertaining speaker. It needs people that come alive with the word of God and say, I'm going to be changed. So I want you to take these next two minutes and I want you to think about how God might weave you more into the community of God. Maybe you're not in a community group and you need to get in one. Guys, it's not hard. Check off on the box on the back of your connection card today. I want to be in a community group. Maybe a great way to do that would be to try one of these financial peace groups. They're starting January 17th. You can sign up at the back. I'll see you back there after the service if you'd like. I can answer all your questions about that. Maybe a great way to get involved more with people and learn more about them is to serve. Remember, don't, don't just consume, but serve. Every single thing I've studied says that when people serve together, when they climb in the same foxhole together and they work together, that they get to know each other in a special way. Okay? So maybe you could serve in children's ministry with somebody. Maybe you've been putting that off. Maybe you could serve on our AV team and work in the back and help us with sound and light. Maybe you could help us come set up and tear down on Sunday mornings. But serving helps you connect with other people too. So I want you to think about these ways, these tangible ways that you can get into community. Because you might be saying to God, man, I really feel like I'm not part of a community. And I would say it's kind of hard to catch any fish if you don't go to the lake and throw in your bobber. Okay? Put yourself in community and watch what God will do. Become a 2 a.m. friend or a refrigerator friend, or an I-just-don't-get-it friend, and watch those other friends come to you too. Pray about that. Let's take two.